The Bible is full of metaphors for who we are as believers. We are light. We're the family of God. We're sheep. We're the bride of Christ. We're an olive tree. We're branches. We're living stones. We're a temple. We're an army. We're a priesthood. We're a lampstand. We're a loaf. We're a vineyard. We're a city. In fact, there's something like a hundred metaphors for the people of God in the New Testament. But the one that really gets my attention comes from an article by Anthony Bradley that says, we are the manure of the earth. And that was the title of the article. And I made that the title of this sermon. And I regret that. Uh, First of all, it's kind of yucky. But second of all, it's just not true. So cross out that word in the sermon notes, you know, and put in a blank, and I'll tell you in just a few minutes, you know, what to put in there. I think my farm background got to me there. Anyway, Bradley is a quality control chemist at a pharmaceutical company in Atlanta, Georgia. He had enrolled in college with the intention of becoming a doctor, but after a spiritual awakening, he ended up enrolling in seminary rather than going to medical school. And as a consequence, he says, I learned the Bible with the sciences in mind. And he was doing some research for a lecture on Luke 14, 34, and there's a common metaphor there that we've all heard where it says salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Now, I've always wondered, what does salt have to do with manure? Does that sound odd to you? Anyone? I don't know. Over in Matthew, Jesus said... You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by man. Well, Dr. Bradley decided to look into this and what Jesus' original audience might have understood when Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth. And uh, I got into this, and salt is kind of interesting stuff in the Bible. For instance, in 2 Kings 2, it says, The men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have made this water wholesome. Henceforth, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha spoke. And I, what is it about salt that makes this water wholesome? Either it had some healing power or maybe it's just symbolic, you know, symbolizing God's goodness and power. You know, whatever it is, salt had a positive effect on the water. Exodus 30 is another use of salt. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. Incense used in worship had salt in that case. Leviticus 2, you shall season all your cereal offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be lacking from your cereal offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Personally, I like sugar on my cereal, but God wanted salt. And it's part of the worship in the Old Testament. And again, salt is important, but it's pretty hard to know exactly why. Uh, maybe it's just the economic value of salt, and so in worship you're sacrificing something of value. We, we don't know. Numbers 18 says, All the holy offerings which the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord you for you and for your offspring with you. Salt involved in covenants in several places in the Old Testament. And then there's another different reference in Judges 9. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city and killed the people that were in it, and he raised the city and sowed it with salt. 
Was it a symbolic use of salt, saying the city was no longer to be inhabited, kind of like a curse? Or was salt sown to make things grow again? Doesn't say. Then Colossians 4, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Sounds like Paul wants our speech to taste good to others. So, a lot about salt in the Bible. We do know it was a very important commodity in ancient times when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. He could have been thinking of a variety of things. It could be he was saying, you are valuable to the world. The Romans said that there was nothing more important than sun and salt. And now Jesus says, you are light and salt. Some say Jesus had purity in mind. You know, salt as we know it is white, of course. Another possibility, he's talking about flavor. Salt is used to season food. In fact, in my humble opinion, food without salt is just not worth eating. If I were told to go on a salt-free diet, I would say, just let me die. If you can't have salt, why eat? Salt even makes broccoli palatable. So maybe Jesus is saying, you are the flavor of the world. The world's tasteless and dull and drab and lifeless, and you are what salts life. Another option people have suggested is that salt can sting. It has a medicinal or healing property when put into a wound, and it stings. So some would say, well, the Lord is saying believers are not to be honey to soothe the world or to sweeten the world necessarily. You are salt to heal the world, and that healing can have a sting to it. Some writers say, Salt is to create thirst, a desire. Uh, the gospel sometimes stings, but it is also attractive because of how it shapes and molds people, and Christians should be attractive, and you would hope that people would come up and, and say, you know, there's something different about you. You know, you, you, why don't you retaliate in that situation? Where's all that contentment come from? Or, or you've changed since you started going to church. You know, if we live salty lies, it should create a thirst in others. But the main reason most people believe the word called salt is it's a preservative. And in a day without refrigeration, that was very important. And Jesus is saying we're here to prevent decay and corruption. Well, Anthony Bradley had another take. His discovery was that this metaphor may not have been table salt as we think of it, but salt was used as a fertilizer. That's the first thing on your outline, fertilizer. According to specialists in environmentalist science and Soil chemistry, salt has been a major method of fertilizing soil for centuries. And Mr. Bradley wasn't the first to see this. Eugene P. Dietrich, former head of the Soils Department of West Virginia University, argued that in some of the passages where Jesus speaks about salt, Jesus was speaking not primarily of salt's household use, but of its agricultural use. According to Dietrich, Several kinds of salt are found in Palestine. And that's another reason these different passages you know, may have different kinds of salt. Uh, they had rock salt. There was salt evaporated from the Dead Sea. There was salt pits and, and, and others. Additionally, he says, agricultural literature abounds in references to the use of salt as fertilizer. In another source, he noted, the value of salt in small quantities appears to have been known in ancient times, and he cites ancient writers like Cato and Virgil and others who record salt's power in improving the herbage of pastures. So, number one, there's a variety of salts. And when Jesus spoke about salt in Matthew 5 and Luke 14, he was possibly referring to something other than our modern table salt or sodium chloride. This article said the salts in Jesus' day were mixtures of chlorides of sodium, magnesium, potassium, very small parts of calcium, sulfate, and gypsum. This is chemistry class today, right? So some of these would dissolve more quickly than others, while some were able to withstand the elements. 
These heartier, saltier salts were generally more valuable in an agricultural context because that meant their benefits would last longer. So these heartier salts would not lose their saltiness, which is what Jesus talked about. So when he says losing your saltiness, it's possible he's talking about a salt that had fertilizing properties that could lose their saltiness. Now, what's fertilizer do? Brings life and growth. So, is it possible Jesus saying, if we lose our saltiness, we lose the ability to bring life and growth? And as a church and as Christians, we are worthless if we lose our saltiness. So, I would, if I were to rewrite this sermon and retitle it, but since everything was printed this morning already, I couldn't change it, I would say, you are the fertilizer of the earth, not manure. (laughs) If Jesus wasn't talking about table salt, But fertilizing salt, that means his reference to the salt of the earth could be translated salt for the soil. And that makes better sense of Jesus' words back in Luke 14 again. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, which table salt doesn't, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil as fertilizer, nor for the manure pile it is thrown out. Now, That reference to the manure pile has long been a source of confusion. Why would you throw table salt on a manure pile? This saying saying makes more sense when we realize that salt was not only used for fertilizer, but also was used to maintain the fertilizing properties of dung. I'm really sorry about this sermon. We'll clean it up next week. Yeah. A 19th century agricultural reference volume notes that salt is applicable in all cases in which fermented dung cannot be carted at once to the land. Covering the heap with salt is a cheap and effective means of checking fermentation. Salt keeps dung hills from rotting and becoming useless as fertilizer while enhancing the fertilizing properties of dung. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You know, people ask, well, what did the preacher talk about today? Don't ask. Okay, but... But do you see, this agricultural understanding of salt fits these passages much better than table salt. In further research, Bradley discovered that not only did the ancient Hebrews use salt this way, so did the Chinese and the early Romans. It was used in arid places to help soil retain moisture, destroy weeds, make stubborn soils easier to till, make sour grass sweeter and more appealing to cattle. In some soils, salt keeps rust from wheat and blight from potatoes. It can kill surface weeds while allowing more deeply rooted plants and grass to thrive. And when rain or irrigation allows salt to permeate the soil, it chemically frees vital nutrients and minerals in the soil allowing them to nourish the plant. So, how would Jesus' audience understand his saying on salt of the earth? Here's a paraphrase. You are like the salt for the soil. You. A stimulant for growth. If you become the savorless salt, no longer good for anything, how will the gospel of the kingdom be preached throughout the whole world? You are not here merely to season or preserve the world from decay. You are sent on a mission to stimulate growth and life in the parts of the world that are barren and to be mixed into the manure piles of the world so that God can use that fertilizer to bring new life. That's a very loose paraphrase of that. So this is the context. This is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, which teaches we are to live a counter-cultural life. And Jesus is saying, if you and I are not committed to the radically countercultural message of Jesus Christ, you and I will lose our saltiness. 
We are carriers of the power of the gospel that brings the kingdom of God to the messes of this world, stimulating life and growth. But if we lose our saltiness, and it's a dire, dire warning for every church and for every Christian, you lose that saltiness. In other words, if you compromise with the world, and you look just like the world all around, if we let it squeeze us into its way of thinking and living, then we are no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. We will not be agents of change. If the agricultural use of salt makes barren soil easier to till and maintains and enhances the fertilizing capacity of manure, then Jesus calling us to something rather extraordinary and countercultural. He says if we, are tru- if we are truly supposed to be salt in the agricultural sense, that means we are supposed to get messy sometimes and go where nothing is growing right now. You are called to be fertilizer of the earth. And instead of always going where things are wonderful and bright and new and everything's wonderful, we have to explore opportunities that will probably not make sense in the eyes of so-called normal people. Who wants to go to the barren soil? Who wants to go to the manure pile? I worked with a young man once who is probably the most talented, godly man I have ever known. He, he, he super talented. He could have been a mega church preacher, a college professor. He could have been a medical doctor. He could have done anything top-notch, talented, brilliant, integrity, and humble. And God could have used them in any way, so he goes to Zimbabwe, Africa, to translate the Bible. And people in that church looked at him like he was crazy. You're throwing your life away. That's like going to a manure pile. Yep. Just like Jesus told him, go to the messy places, go to the barren places, and bring life and growth there. People would say, Well, she graduated from Harvard with a degree in history. Why is she teaching seventh grade in rural West Virginia? Or he was a varsity athlete with the talent to go pro and make lots of money. Why did he choose to stay home and support his divorced mother and three siblings instead? Or they both have promising careers, and and why did they spend so much time working with special needs adults in their community when they could be making a difference in the corporate world? See, when we realize we're fertilizer, we measure our value by the growth of others. And that is totally different from what you're going to hear every day because everyone's saying it's about growth of self and self-enrichment and self-fulfillment and self-discovery. No. The question is, how am I impacting others? How am I impacting this world? And I would suggest that the way to self-discovery and self-fulfillment is through becoming salt and impacting others. So we need to be scattered where the soil needs fertilizer. We need to be in close relationships with people who do not know the gospel or believe the gospel so that the new life in Christ might grow where right now there's only barren soil. Do you know someone who is only barren soil right now spiritually? Sure you do. That's who we need to go to. That's who we need to uh, bring uh, the gospel to, to the barren places, to the people who just don't have that life. Barren fields and manure piles are all around us. They come to us in the form of devastated lives, their friends and family, members who lives are some, really a disaster. Maybe there's an injustice or poor decision-making. Maybe there's an immorality or ignorance or just outright rejection of the gospel. There's a whole host of messy problems plaguing the lives of people that we care about. And there's manure piles and barren soil in Mount Pulaski and in Haiti and in Uganda, and wherever we are, we are salt, we're fertilizer to bring growth in life. Wow. 
So no matter where God sprinkles us, we, are, we have an opportunity to be fertilizer. We have neighbors, we have students at school, at work. There's barrenness everywhere. And I want to challenge you to find one person who is barren soil, one family that could really use some growth and life and be salt to them, be fertilizer to them, pray for them, do acts of kindness, uh, an invitation to church or a small group or Sunday school class, have them over for a meal, reach out to them, just one person or family. What would happen in, the, if, in this church? Just everyone just reach out to one person or one family. What do you think would happen if we were fertilizer bringing growth and life to those around us? And it's in that where you'll find the self-fulfillment by the growth of others. I'll tell you the best part of ministry when I'm really loving it is when I'm seeing people growing and thriving and turned on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Seeing dads be the dads they were called to be and moms, the moms they were called to be and they're both loving Jesus and loving each other and they're bringing those kids to Christ. Uh, Seeing people who once were cynical coming to strong faith, people who are once nominal, getting turned on and fired up, ex-addicts turning to Christ, there is nothing more exciting. It's amazing. And you will be fulfilled in making a difference in others. Now, Jesus says we're to be the light of the world and salt of the earth. Puts those two together. And I think it's possible he's talking about the two sides of our mission. Now, when you think of light, we think of light as good and attractive. It breaks through the darkness Light is warm. If you're in the darkness and you're lost, you look for the light. You want to go toward the light. And Jesus said, you are to be that light. You are to be attractive in the dark world, that people will be drawn to Christ. We, we show God's light by being filled with his grace and forgiveness, how, how we love one another, mercy, and people are attracted to that because we have his heart. Salt, if it was used as fertilizer, is not as attractive. Light, light. But it is effective. And for growth, you need both light and fertilizer. Salt and light, I think, are kind of like a yo-yo. A yo-yo works only by going out and coming in. I mean, there's no other way a yo-yo can work. I think it's the same with the church. We can work rightly when we're going out and going in. We have to do both. So I'm going to suggest that light represents the centripetal movement of God's mission, the coming in. In the Old Testament, God placed Israel in the middle of the nation so they could be a light to the nations. So the nations would be drawn to God and to Jerusalem. They were to be an attractive sign to a watching world. And in the church, we are to be the same thing. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. So are we the kind of people that people are drawn to Jesus? They see Jesus in us. Are we light? And then salt represents the centrifugal movement of God's mission. That's the going out. Jesus tells us to be fertilizer that goes to the barren soil and produces life and growth. In the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world. And I love what Tracy Dyer said a couple weeks ago. Jesus did not say, wait until I come back. He said, go to the world. There are some people in this town, and you know some, who will never, ever step a foot in church. They just won't. That means we have to be salt and go to them. They will not come to the light. We have to become fertilizer and produce growth and life in them. When I worked on my uncle's dairy farm when I was in high school, every morning we went out with what we called the honey wagon. You know what that is? Yeah, manure spreader. Okay, spread the manure on the soil. And if it's not spread, it's no good. And if we just sit here with each other, 
and we're just salt or fertilizer, just piled up a bunch of fertilizer, it'll start stinking. If all we do is sit, we stink. Early church, when it began, was both salt and light. People flocked to Jerusalem, they heard the gospel, they were drawn to the light, but then believers went out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and all parts of the world to be fertilizer. The Jerusalem church was the first honey wagon. And we at Mount Pulaski Christian Church are called to be a manure spreader the same way, a honey wagon. You're the fertilizer of the world to bring growth and light. So, our mission is like a yo-yo. First, we're light drawing in, and we're salt going out. How are we doing? How are we doing as fertilizer? How are you doing? When's the last time you reached out to someone? One person, one family, be salt to them. Write down a name. I want to challenge you. Write down a name at the bottom of your sermon notes. One family that you can bring some growth and life to and be salt to them. And just begin praying for them, uh, doing little acts of kindness, reaching out to them. Uh, let them see your good deeds. And you will be amazed what God can do through you if you dare to be salt. Let's pray. Lord, this is a challenge to go counter to so many messages around us that, uh, to reach for self-fulfillment and self-discovery. But you have revealed to us the truth that our self finds its purpose only in serving, serving you and serving others, impacting this world with salt and light. So fill us, Lord, with the gospel, with the good news, so that we can draw others to you and bring growth and life to this world. Thank you for the privilege we have of being your agents in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name.